How you doing? My name is Cedric Burnside, and you're listening to Talking Blues. So you must be a little exhausted. Yeah, yeah, it happens. <laughs> so tell me about tell me about your trip. You you started what day? Uh, we left uh, we left home on. Uh, Friday morning about 2.30 and um, we flew to Willen, uh, West Virginia which probably wasn't a direct flight, right? No, no so you was, went, Did you we, go from Memphis? We connected twice uh, we, we flew from Memphis to uh, I think it was I want to say Dallas maybe <laughs> and then from Dallas to uh, West no, not, not Dallas um, I think it was some part of North Carolina, and then from there to West Virginia. <laughs> okay, so but did you not just play New York City like a uh, few days ago? No, uh, it's been about a week. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, about yeah. a week ago. But okay. yeah, I'm all over the place yeah, like yeah. that because <laughs> I was I was in New York last week and and yeah. I saw the poster at Lincoln Center where yeah, you were yeah, playing. Yeah, so, yeah. wow. Well, actually, I played New York uh, last week, but I played the Lincoln Center next week. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that I would make sense. Center next week. Yeah. Wow. So I played Rochester, been... New York last week, and and I played New York City uh, next week. So before that, you go home once. Yeah, I go home in the morning for about a week, and I'm so happy, man, because I need it. <laughs> <laughs> has it been a really busy summer for you? It has. It has. Um, you know, thank God and thank I.L. Burnside. It's it's been pretty good. Yeah, well, okay. steady going. So the last time I saw you was a number of years ago in, in Norway, and I think yeah. it was 2009 or 10. Yeah, No Totten Blues Festival. Yeah. I think that was 2009. Yeah, yeah so that was so a while ago. Was. And then things were really happening for you then, and it sounds like things have continued to go well. Yes, yes. Truly blessed. Well, tell yeah. me about that journey. Tell me about, um, I, I know that how you started, but tell me from your, in your words how you first got into music. Well... You know, um, just growing up in a very musical family, my big daddy, um, you know, uh, grandfather, a lot of people don't know what I mean when I say big daddy, but... Um, you Is know, that what he, you called him? That's what I called him, okay. big daddy, you know, R.L. Burnside. And, um, you know, I just grew up listening to him, you know, play music a lot, along with my uncles, you know, and, and, and my dad, Calvin Jackson. And um, they used to, he used to do house parties just about every other weekend. You know, and um, you know me being one of many grandchildren sitting there listening at the music, I, I was just amazed. You know, it, it's, it was something that I knew at a very young age that I wanted to do. You know, did you know what that meant? Oh, of course not. <laughs> but did you get a sense of what RL was doing? I I knew it was music that people wanted to hear. Right. Um, uh, how special it was. Uh, no, I did not know that. Right. Um, but I knew it was, you know, it was very interesting to me being young, you know, five, six years old. And, um, you know, just knowing that my big dad and them had house parties every other weekend, that was normal to me. You know, I was used to that. Uh, but to see, you know, people come from, you know, of course our neighbors came, you know, from anywhere from 15 to 30 miles away to hear music. But Sometimes there will be people from other countries that come, you know, to listen to the music just just to house parties. 
And I, I would think to myself sometimes, like, how in the hell did these people even <laughs> know about these house parties, you know? Okay, so <laughs> describe a house party to me. Is it is it just an informal concert in a house? Is it any more, is it any different, this house party that you would have attended all these years? Is it any different than me seeing you tonight at the Kitchener Blues Festival? Oh, it's quite different. And and the reason why, it's, if the house party was more like a, a juke joint on the outside, right. you know, on the porch. Um, and, you know, my, my big dad and them, they would, you know, drink their little moonshine. And, and of course, you know, every now and then my uncles and, and their friends will fry up a little doobie and, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Th- things you can't do, you know, you don't supposed to do in a regular venue. You but know? musically, how different is it? Um, it's very different, even musically, because, you know, you just, you get to do things that... You get to play as long as you wanna. You know, you get people might jump up on the um, the porch and 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 dance all around the instruments. You know, a few people might even fall over the instruments from being you know full of the moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, the, the drums wasn't really uh, a great set of drums. They was just a regular little set of drums taped all up. Um, you know, and my, my big dad and them had uh, a piece of amp that was. They were, you know, raggly, but it still worked. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of things that um, you you probably just wouldn't see in a regular venue or, or a festival. You know, they're going to probably have some brand new drums, brand new amps, and you can choose from it, you know. Um, but we just kind of made do with what we had, you know, and uh, that was the difference between the house parties and, you know, just playing at a festival or a regular right. venue. You play multiple instruments. I know you're mainly known as a drummer, but I know yeah. you also play the piano and you also play the guitar and yeah. other yeah. things. So did the drums come to you first? Is that your main instrument? They did. Um, you know, and a, a lot of that uh, that influence came from my dad, Calvin Jackson. You know, just watching him um, as a kid play with my big daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I just, I just had to play. You know, I, I watched him, and it, it just amazed me. And you know, um, I don't know how many times I done said this. <laughs> it just, you know, it, it it made me want to do it so bad. To um, you know, I, I just found the courage. You know, one day, um, being about six, seven years old, to just jump on the drums. You know, and and I jumped on the drums and. And I'm sure I sounded awful. Of course I did. Um, but I, I guess just breaking the ice and, you know, doing it for the first time, it was just, just getting up there for the first time and not being nervous or scared to just do it, you know. And, um, you know, people that was there, they would be like, look at that little young man, you know, on them drums, and he's going to be good someday, you know. And, um, you know, from that, I just never stopped. Do you remember the learning process? Like, how did you go about learning it? Well, um, you know, I, I grew up not just in the house parties, but in the juke joints. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as I got older, um, Junior Kimbrough, also from Holly Springs, Mississippi, he um, had a juke joint which was across the street, well, right across the yard, actually, <laughs> from our house, you know. And he would come in, you know, every weekend early, you know, in the a.m. To, to clean up to get ready for, you know, the weekend. People going to come to the juke joint. And in the process, you know, I'm being about 10 years old, and 
and my uncle Gary at the time he was twelve, and Mr. Junior Kimbrough used to get us in the in the juke joint, and teach us you know some of the songs just in case he needed us for a backup band. Right. Well, you know uh, the time came when the bass player didn't show up, the drummer didn't show up, and and sure enough we had to be his backup band. You know so that's kind of how we, you know, started playing at the juke joints. I mean, at the house parties, and then playing at the juke joints, you know. Um, and that, that kind of, you know, just started it off right there. And before I knew it, you know, around about 13 years old, I was, you know, I did my first tour with my big daddy. And I've been doing it ever since. If I'm not mistaken, you came to Toronto at that point, did you? Not? I did. I, I did. That was my the... first. That was my first tour. Yeah, I think <laughs> you played at the Silver Dollar. I did. Rating. Yeah. Well, you know what? I never could uh, think of that name. I always told people I know it was Toronto, <laughs> but what what the name of the venue? I couldn't remember. Yeah, the it's Silver, Silver Dollar. Room. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much. So that was the first time you went on the road. First time so I went on the road. So before that, was it? Did you do any road work? Like, did you play anywhere outside of I house didn't. parties and juke parties? Nah, just just juke joints and house parties. You so know? tell me what that was like. like. Do you remember going to Toronto and playing at that room? Oh man, yes, yes, I remember. And I'm gonna tell you one of the things that uh, I'll never forget is you know when you grow up in a place and you're so used to the same people. Same people coming to oh, the yeah, juke joint, you know, <laughs> hey. and and you would play for those people, and and after a while, you just don't have any fear. You do, they know what you're gonna do, they know what you're all about, and you're just gonna go in there and do your thing. Well, I remember being so nervous coming out of town, coming mm-hmm. to another country, and never been out the country before, and then playing in front of new faces, new audience, you know, and then predominantly white. I'm like, oh, man, you know, I, I was nervous. I was downright scared. And my big daddy was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's all good. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Just the same thing you did at the juke joint, you know, just keep keep it going. Mm-hmm. You know, you have nothing to be worried about. But, man, when I got on that stage, I had butterflies and my stomach was doing all type of stuff. And um, he just said, no, do do what you do. So, but I would presume that some of these people who traveled from afar to these house parties were white. Yeah, they were. They was so they it was some like of you hadn't played white. to any white people, but, but it was a, probably a majority of white people. Majority of white, yeah, predominantly white. You know, the whole audience was predominantly white, and it wasn't just because they was white. Right. It was because there was a lot of faces I never saw before in my life, and I didn't know how they was going to receive the music. You know, um, I I was just nervous because, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, what if they don't like it? You know, what if they boo us? You know, <laughs> it's just all types of things went through my mind. Can I ask you, when you were growing <clears throat> up, and you you grew up in this very musical family, your yeah. grandfather's R. Allen, um, and you have a juke joint across the street, there's house parties all over the place. Yeah. Did you listen to, to any other kind of music? Was was basically the, the Mississippi... Um, Hill Country. Hill Country Blues, basically all you listened to, or was there a lot of other things that you listened to while you grew up? Well, um, you know, my big daddy played a a bunch of music for us, you know, growing up. And, um, you know, he used to play a lot of Muddy Waters. Right. uh, And, of course, Fred McDowell. um, We always listened at some Fred McDowell. 
Um, but mainly blues. But mainly, mainly blues. Oh, yeah. Mainly blues. Um, and, you know, some of my big data friends, uh, Big Jack Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Frank Frost and, and Sam Carl, Jelly Roll Kings, they used to come, you know, uh, by every now and then and just jam out at the house parties. So I, and, you know, they was from the Delta. So I got to listen to, you know, a little bit of their music, you know, as well as T. Marla Ford, you know, which is from the Delta. Um, so yeah, I, it was mainly blues, but different different blues, you know. And did you have a sense growing up in that environment, how special this music was and how unique it was to that region? Oh no, man! All I know is I was born into this music, mm-hmm. and I love to play it, and it's just what it was. I, you know, I was so used to playing this music to it was. It was just normal to me, um, but I didn't really know how special this music was until I got into my maybe early 20s, when it really dawned on me that this music is something you know, unique, uh, something special and, and just authentic. Um, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really know. It didn't really, I didn't really grasp how special it was. I wonder if, you know, I don't know, it's, it's difficult to talk about music, but it's a very unique sound, the Mississippi yeah. Hill Country blues. And it's very different from Delta blues. It's very different from Chicago blues. Yeah. But if I was to ask you, how would you describe what it is? Could you do that? Well, I could try. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. Because, I mean, from somebody who, who lives in it and who who's who, who probably breathes it and yeah. um, who has lived his whole life with it, Tell me what it means to you and how you would describe it. Well, um, first of all, I, I love being from the Hill Country, and I love keeping Hill Country blues alive. Um, I feel like I am Hill Country blues, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and what makes it stand out and so different from any other blues, uh, I will have to say, you know, the unique rhythm that it has. The rhythm is, uh, it can be very unorthodox, you know, very off the beaten pattern. Um, is that just a feel thing? Like, how I, would you describe that? That's, I would definitely say, man, um, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I would call it feel music. Because, you know, a lot of times it, it, when people think that it should change, it doesn't change. You know? right. <laughs> uh, when people think that you know the, the four is coming, there isn't the four. They are still on the one. You know they might stay on the one through the whole song right. and then just change one time, or they might change four or five times in in the song. Um, but it, it's it all is what they feel what's coming from their heart. You know, um, there's no you know one four five straight through the music you know there's no eight bars no 12 bars straight through the music like regular blues would be right and um so i i would say that you know hill country blues is it's irregular <laughs> you okay know? so as a drummer and i know that your dad was a drummer i know that you have certain influences um like sam carr i believe so I, yeah yeah so yes. um how would you describe the drumming for this type of music also very unique and unorthodox. Um, you know, in Hill Country Blues, um, and I've been playing it my whole life, I feel like if you're going to play drums behind the music, you have to really follow the people that's playing the guitar. 
which can be very complicated, you know, right. sometimes um, because they change when they get ready. So it's, it's something that you have to be around either your whole life or been around for a long time to kind of get the, you know, the structure of how Hill Country Blues is laid down, you know. Um, but as a drummer and, you know, playing behind several different, you know, um, Hill Country Blues players like Robert Belfort and Junior Kimbrough and, and, of course, my big dad, Elliot Burnside, uh, they both had different, all three of them had different styles, mm-hmm. you know, and um, each one of them had an unorthodox style, you know, and you had to put that unorthodox beat with them. You kind of really had to not think about it and just do it. Right. You know, they feel it, so you just kind of have to feel it too. And when, they're cha- when they change, you change. If they don't change, you don't change. That's <laughs> just how it is, you know. How so do the you drums know about have the to change, be that. though? How, like, how do you know when to change? Well, you, you're also well, behind them. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not watching Well, when them. I hear, well, see, that's, you got to have a great ear. Mm-hmm. You got to have a good ear. And so when my big daddy changed, I might have been uh, beat or uh, maybe two behind him, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it might been... It might have been off, you know, a couple beats, but it's a skip beat that you do in Hill Country Blues that always throw you back on track, you know? Right, right. And um, you got to kind of know how to do it. It's hard to explain. Uh, That's why I said I would try to explain it to you. (laughs) Okay, so I wonder, during your formative years, as, as you're learning music, as you're playing music... Yeah. Are you exposing yourself to other things? Because I know you've made references to other musicians and the people you love to hear, listen yeah. to. Um, does that come into your music, or are you pretty well set in that tradition? Well, um, my heart is Hill Country Blues, but I'm I'm open. You know, I'm a, I'm an open you know minded person, and I like to collaborate mm-hmm. with friends that um, you know. Uh, Bernard Allison uh, love his music you know loved his dad Luther Allison and um, men men Bernard you know got together and collaborated and did some stuff together which I love mm-hmm. um, so I'm not just limited to just stand to Hill Country but you know um, if it comes down to me recording my albums or anything like that my album is gonna be Hill Country you know do you feel, and pressure is probably not the right word, but maybe the responsibility to carry on this genre of music? I I do feel the responsibility, you know, to a certain extent to carry this music. Um, but I have to say this, I'm not trying to feel in the shoes, mm-hmm. you know, to, to carry this music on. It's just who I am. It always has been. And um, some people have asked me, you know, how is it pressure to me to try to fill my big daddy's shoes or to try to fill Junior's shoes? And, you know, I, I would never try to do that. I think that's impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm here to keep this music going and to show people where I got it from, which is from Aria Burnside, you know, Junior Kimbrough. So I think that's my purpose here is to make music um, and make authentic music in the modern times. I know there, know? Are there were like a number of people along with you doing this music. Yeah. But I'm not sure if there's a lot of people doing this music. Like it comes from a very small 
area. Yeah. And, and there are definitely people who are continuing this music. But do you see other people in other, part, other countries or other parts of the United States playing this music and playing it authentically? Well, um, I wouldn't say authentically, but um, I do see them playing it, which just makes me very happy right. and warms, warms my heart a lot. You know, um, and I have to say, yes, you're right. There's not a lot of people doing the Hill Country Blues. Um, there's still a lot of people that don't even know what the Hill Country Blues is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's quite a few that know the Hill Country Blues, and there's quite a few people that don't know anything about it. Um, but I like to say that, you know, my two brothers from another mother, you know, the North Mississippi All-Stars, Luther mm-hmm. and Cody, uh, they're they one you know band that's keeping the music alive, Hill Country Blues, right. uh, which I love, you know. Um, and also, you know, the Black Keys, they they keep the music alive, you know. Um, and so, just you know, just seeing all of that, I I really enjoyed. Um, and seeing you know Samantha Fish, she loved Hill Country Blues, and she'll add a few of my Big Daddy songs in on her set, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just I love to see people um, that listen to this music and want to keep it alive, want to ke- carry it on. You Can know? you tell me or share with me? Because I'm sure you learned a lot of things from your big daddy. But oh yeah, is there anything you can share with me that that's really special to you that that you look back on and think, wow, I know what he meant by that? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow, so many things, man. Um, but um. You know, he used to always tell me, um, you know, not just about music, but just about life in general, you know. And um, like he used to tell me all the time, man, uh, you know, pack your bags and, and um, you know, put, put you some snacks in it. Because, you know, it might be some of them times that you you wake up or, or you might be in a place where they close early and, you might not be able to get that neat. You'll have some snacks, you know. And I would do it, but it didn't really comprehend on me, you know, that much. I just, I heard him and then I didn't hear him. And, um, you know, there were some nights that it was like 8 o'clock in the morning. We might have been overseas and restaurants closed early. And um, <laughs> and there I am sitting there like, all right. <laughs> Now it's time to take out the beanie weenies, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and there's times right now that that happened and it makes me think about, you know, when he told me the mm-hmm. first time, the very first time he told me. Um, and also just how to treat people, um, you know, treat people like you want to be treated in life. You know, it carries you a long way. And, um, and so I try to do that. You know, I, I didn't really do that. You know, um, my whole life, I I always tried to be a, a good person, but I'm not sure that I um, always treated people like I want to be treated. You know, uh, matter of fact, I know I haven't. And so I just try to do that more. And I find myself think, thinking about, you know, that a whole lot, you know, here in the last five, six years, you know, since my big daddy, you know, been uh, has passed. Um but yeah, there's a lot of things that come to my mind that he told me about and, and um, you know, try to instill in me to do that will help me along the way, you know. 
Do you think he got the recognition that he deserves? Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I see you and you're traveling all over the world. I'm yeah. not sure if he did as much as you've been over the last few years um, in, his, in his life. Yeah, well, you know... Um, I know he was very respected. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. I know he was respected and yeah. I know he had decent sales and whatever and people knew yeah. him. But I, I just wonder, you know, the blues world has changed so much. And, and I don't know while he was doing what he did, if he traveled the world as much and if he got the recognition as much as maybe what you're seeing right now. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question, man. Um, I, I think now, you know, it, it's a shame that this happens when you, when you leave the world. Mm-hmm. I think now he's starting to get the recognition that he should have got a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I think now he's starting to get that, even though he's long gone. Um, but I, I think, you know, when he was here, people didn't really start grasping the Hill Country Blues until like the mid-90s. You what know, do you think happened then? And um, I, I think that, you know, um, due to some of the people that we went on the road with, like John Spencer Blues Explosion, you know, kind of um, also, you know, opening up and doing shows with widespread panic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of turned, um, you know, Hill Country Blues on to new audiences, um, more younger audiences. And um, and so then it started to change. You know, it's, they, they start to grasp it and... And people start to know about it more. Um, but, you know, my big daddy was getting ill, mm-hmm. you know, in the mid-90s. And, um, you know, he had had, by the time, about 1998, 99, he had had two bypass surgeries, you know. Um, and so he was, you know, he, he was kind of wearing wearing down. Um, but, he's, you know, he was a fighter, so he kept on, you know, when he got well enough to go back out on the road, he did, right. you know, because it's what it what he loved. And and so, um, but yeah, I think now he's starting to get the recognition and um, people starting to listen to him more. Uh, and I like to think that, um, you know, because I am keeping this music going myself, um, that people, you know, when they look up Cedric Burnside, R.L. will pop up, and mm-hmm. vice versa. When they look up R.L. Burnside, my name will pop up. Um, and, and it's all because, you know, he gave me my first first little run. You know, he, he opened the door for the Burnside family, as well as other great musicians who loved his music as well. Um, so I, I just really thank him, and, um, and I thank God, you know, just for this journey that I have been on. Um, you know, for my whole life, uh, from then until now. Right. So you know. when you said around in your 20s, you realized that this was very special. Yeah. How did you find that out? Like, how, how, how did that occur to you? You know, that's another great question. Um, you know, it was, it was really, really um, heartwarming and emotional. Um, this lady came to me, and of course she came to my big daddy, and... She was crying. And, you know, and that has happened to me again, you know, since my big daddy has been uh, been gone. Um, she came up to us and she was crying and, and her husband was with her and he, and he had tears in his eyes. And, and they was just telling me how much this music meant to them. 
and you know they listened to it their whole life growing up um as a kid you know their parents played it for them and and um you know the husband said that it changed his life you know it really changed his life and and uh he think that if it wasn't for my big daddy's music he wouldn't be in the world and that right there just really did something to me you know it was like wow like this is really something you know mm-hmm. it's it's really special and it, it it wasn't until that day you know and i think i was around about 23 24 years old um when that happened and that day i knew that this music was so special you know and and not just special to um you know to my big daddy not just special to me for playing it but it was special to a lot of people outside of the hill country mm-hmm. you know it was it was special to a lot of people and i didn't realize how special it was to me until that day you know um but yeah that's that's when i really found out you know i i really just played this music because i could right does it you surprise know? you that you know you know you know where you live and and that area around the North Mississippi area, but when you play in Norway or when you play in Canada yeah. or in England, and you bring that the music from this small area yeah. to them and how it connects, does that surprise you? Well, not anymore. It doesn't surprise me anymore because um, you know at this point I I can't even count how many times I've been to those places and played this music, and that's one of the reasons why I go back. It's because they want this music more over there, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's. I, I, I say again, it, it feels good to go to those places and and people talking about R.L. Burnside, you know, and Junior Kimbrough. Um, it feels good to go to those places, different countries all over the world, and people know this music, you know. Um, so that right there within itself is it's just something beautiful to me. You know? okay. So at one point you played with R.L. and Junior and a bunch of other people to yeah. learn the craft. Yeah. And then at one point you decided that you would be not the headliner, but that you would lead your projects. Yeah. And and whether it be behind the drums or up front with a guitar. Yeah. How difficult was that transition to say, okay, now I'm going to go out there as Cedric Burnside? Tell me about the thinking behind that. <laughs> now how that happened. Well. Um, when I started uh, to play guitar, you know, it was about maybe 13, 14 years ago when I first picked it up to try to peel around on it. Um, I I kind of wanted to, you know, learn the guitar because I got tired of, you know, moaning with my mouth what 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 this music should sound like to the song I wrote, you know. Right. <laughs> and so I, I would, you know, kind of you know, tune it out with my mouth and people would be like, uh, man, what key is that? I can't tell you what key it is. You know, I can just tell you what I, what I hear in my head and you play it and I can tell you if that's right or not. You know? But hearing it in your head was part of the process. Did that come easy to you? Yeah, the, the music came easy to me in my head. Um, but it was, of course, it was kind of difficult to tune it out with my mouth and and then the guitar player, whether it was my uncle or a friend, it was kind of you know complicated for them to 
mimic what I was saying with my mouth, you know. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to learn how to play guitar so I can play it to him as opposed to, you know, tuning it out with my mouth to him. Um, and also, you know, I always wrote music, you know, I always wrote songs, um, but it, it, I couldn't play guitar. So, of course, I had to kind of tune it out with my mouth and hoping they'll get it. But when I started, when when I was good enough to um, play the guitar and make music um, on the guitar to go with my lyrics, I was, you know, I, I kind of thought to myself, you know, uh, if I keep this up, I, I will get better and better and I will, you know, eventually get to where I won't have to let anybody play my music. Right. Uh, I, I will get to a point where I can play my own music. And, of course, you know, when you, um, when you show somebody your music, they tend to, and not that they're doing anything wrong, they tend to take that music and do it in the way that they want to do it, which makes it become their style, Right. you know? And so, um, not that it didn't sound good, because I, you know, my, I got a very musical family, and they're very talented, and some hell of a guitar players, you know? Um, but I kind of wanted to do it my way. You know, I kind of wanted to see how it sound as Cedric Burnside. You know, and so I, I I picked up the guitar. I wrote these songs and and I recorded them on my phone and I listened to them. I'm like, you know, I, I I think that you know I can go in the studio and record this. And so that's what I did. You know, um, sometimes it took me three or four, five, six times to to convince myself that it sounds good enough. You know to to put on a CD to put on wax you know and mm -hmm. and um when I finally started believing in myself to you know make my own sound um you know that's when things just started coming together you know more songs and how more easy music. was it to learn how to play the guitar to the point where you were comfortable with putting what was in your head onto the guitar I would say it took me about six seven years. Yeah, at least right. to want to to convince myself that it was good enough for me to go in the studio with. Um, and so after about six, seven years of just pulling around on the guitar, you know, giving it my all, um, you know, I, I finally say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go go ahead and do it. And I have to say at the at the time. It didn't really matter if, you know, people liked it or not to me. It made me feel good to just do my own thing, you know, to be able to go out and present myself as Cedric Burnside and not just uh, Aya Burnside's grandson. Right. You know, I wanted um, to kind of make my own way. You talked about confidence. So yeah. you said it took a little while to be, get that confidence. Yeah. How did that confidence come about? Like, were you road testing these things? I was. <laughs> and is that is it because of the feedback that you got that you thought, wow, I'm getting there? Or like, how did, how did your confidence grow? Well, um, for once, you know, um, before my, my brother passed, he was, you know, one of my biggest fans, Cody Burnside. He passed in, um, you know, 2012, unfortunately. Um, but he used to always tell me, man, you're getting better and better. 
And I used to play songs for him, and he's, you know, he was known as the Hill Country Floor. He was a rapper. Mm -hmm. And so he would rap on some of my songs, and we would record them on my, on my um, phone, and we would be like, wow, man, this is really cool. So, um, you know, just hearing uh, feedback from him, uh, you know, to keep on doing what I'm doing, you know, is, is, is getting better and better. And, you know, I had my uncle, Gary Burnside, which is one of the most extraordinary guitar players in, in Hollis Springs right now, you know. Um, he would tell me, man, uh, you know, I, you're getting better and better. I can tell, you know. Right. Um, so that was, that's, that boosted my confidence, you know, a little bit. And I, I started out, you know, when I did my first little thing on guitar, you know, for the first time, of course I was nervous and um, people was like, yeah, he's not a very good guitar player, <laughs> you know. And so um, I had been used to taking constructive criticism from my family. Right. And so I just took it as, you know, constructive criticism. And it just made me want to get in, you know, set home and play on the guitar more and more and more to get better, you know. Um, but even now, I mean, the last time I saw you, I think you spent more time on the drums than you did on the guitar. Yeah, I did. Um, but here recently, the last couple of years, I've been doing, well, I said about the last three years, I've been doing more guitar, you know, um, on stage. And, uh, you know, I've been writing more songs and and recording more, you know, and, and people hear my music and and they like it, you know. <laughs> and of course, that's that makes me, you know, makes me play more on stage because I want to play with the people, you know, want to hear, of course. Um, and I always play my Big Daddy music, you know, that's something I will always do until I leave this world because I love him and I respect his music and I respect him for opening the door, you know, mm -hmm. for for me. Um, and I always, you know, find a way to put a little junior in there because these are the cats that showed me the ropes, you know, these are the cats that I grew up around um, that, you know, pretty much showed me and taught me everything about the road, you know, that I know today. Right. Um, and so when I go out on, on the stage, um, I don't just only play my music. Um, I show them where I got it from, you know, which is from my big daddy and, and Junior Kimbrough. I wonder, you said in the beginning you didn't really care if it sold. You just, you needed to do this. I needed to do it. It was and mandatory. Then, and, and so you, you got to the point where you recorded your album. Did you ever have like a follow-up plan? Like other than let's put it down on, on tape and release something. Was there ever a plan or a five-year plan or a goal? Well, I, I guess my goal was just to get better. Right. You know, um, but it was also to you know, write my own songs and put out my own music to make my own mark, you know. And um, not just, like I said, become, uh, you know, Ariel Burnside's grandson, the drummer. Um, I like to think of myself now as a musician, you know. Um, and before I leave this world, I want to learn how to play every instrument I can, you know. Um, but now that I have guitar and drums, under my belt, you know, I'm going to keep, you know, working that craft and, and building that craft and hopefully move on to something else. 
um, like bass, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I, I want to be able to go in the studio and, and record my own album by myself. Right. You know, uh, uh, hopefully someday in the future, hopefully sooner than later, I will be able to just do that, you know, go in the studio and just write music and nobody but me, you know. How do you define success? Like, what is success to you? Well, I, I would have to say, you know, success is, you know, making it to a point where you can survive and be comfortable, mm -hmm. you know. And what I mean by that is I, I grew up in um, a family that not was just talented, but we, we also grew up very poor, um, you know, because that talent wasn't really known you know, then when I was growing up uh, as much. And so we grew up without running water, you know, without a without a toilet, without a bathtub, you know. And and so I, I would say now I'm at a point, well, I was about 12 years old when I moved into a house with good running water, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I didn't have to haul it. <laughs> So now I'm at a point um, where I, I own about six and a half acres of land, um, best money I ever spent in my life. Um, and, you know, I'm at a point where I can keep my bills paid, you know, and, and support my, my da three daughters that I have, and as well as my wife, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I would think that, you know, that's, that's success to me. You know, is the six and a half acres is is it farmland? Do you do it? Do you do anything with the land? Well, I I do have a little garden. You know, I didn't I didn't start one this year, but normally I put a little garden. You know, every year to to try to let the land you know feed me as much as possible. Um, but yeah, I I try to farm it a little bit and and um, you know try to do get some people out there to landscape it a little bit to make it look better. You know. As much as I can. <laughs> can I ask, growing up poor, how did that define you, or how does that motivate you? Oh wow, man! Um, you know, it it teaches me so much today. Uh, you know, as well as growing up, it it taught me a lot. It taught me how to be strong, um, because when you grow up poor, you know, you go to school and you might have the same pants on. Um, you might have that one pair of pants that you wear to school, you know, two or three times a week, mm -hmm. you know. And, of course, you know, kids can be some little brutal mm -hmm. creatures sometimes, and they will be like, you had them pants on the day before yesterday, you know. You had them pants on, uh, you know, about two days ago. And I'm like, you know, and, and that be the case. So it, it definitely made me stronger. Um, it, it made me not take anything for granted. You know, and today I I can look at other uh, families and and try to help them as much as I can, and also in the process of helping them, just let them know that you know uh, I've been there, I can relate. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I done been there, I done done that, um, and things will get better. You know, I I got a song on my new album, uh, Ben Kind of Relic. Um, you know, just call we made it, you know, and it's talking about those times when I grew up, 
you know, poor, without running water, you know, and um, we used to have mice in the house all the time, you know, we stayed in a little country regular house and mice used to run across the, you know, the floor and we set mouse traps and try to catch them as many as we can, you know, we was <laughs> very poor and very country. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, it, it made me see, you know, my life in a totally different perspective um, now today, you know, even, um, and just made me be able to um, tell other people who still live that same lifestyle, not because they want to, but because they don't have a, a choice, mm -hmm. but to be in that situation because that's just how it is. And, um, and I can tell them that, you know, things will get better. You know, there is a, there is a God and um, he will provide for you. You know, you just have to have patience because sometimes, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all on his time, you know. Well, um, I know you got to get ready for a gig. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. It's great catching up with you. Andy. You're very welcome, man. Good to see you again, and, and thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs>